0: folks, Welcome back, this is Pastor Troy with the Raven Online Community Church and glad to have you back as we continue our expository study in the epistle of 1st John. This week we're going to dive into week number 18 or session number 18 of our classes and uh, you know it's been really a tremendous time of study and ex- exploration in the Word of God. Y- you know certain verses of scripture you know I often say are, are my favorite. What we're going to be looking at today is, is such a one of my many favorites. Uh, because it, it's really enlightening, and I think it goes uh, uh, very deep into some of the things that are misconceptions that face the body of Christ. And as a result, as we've been talking about in First John, they leave the door open for false and erroneous teachings and, and, and really just misconceptions that people have about the gospel. So today we're going to be looking at First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and just invite you to join along with us. Uh, today as we open up in prayer father we just thank you for this day thank you for the tremendous opportunity just to come before you and and thanks lord god we thank you for this word that you've given us and you've entrusted us with father even this word that you said is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path we just ask for the illumination of your word to come upon our hearts and lives. we thank you that you said that you would send a comforter in the holy spirit that would lead and guide us into all truth and that's what we desire, Lord God. We desire truth in our inward parts, Lord God. We don't want to, uh, to to say anything that you don't say, and we don't want to be silent. Well, you're silent, Lord God. We want to speak clearly, Lord God, uh, your word to a lost and dying world that, that needs answers, Lord God. And we know what that answer is. It's Christ and him crucified, the power of God. So Father, today as we come and we're Berean-like, we want to receive your word, but we want to search the scriptures to see if it be so. We thank you for this opportunity to study. I ask you to to, to bless those that have tuned in, Lord God, that are joining us in the study today. Just open their hearts. Give them just a, a hunger and insatiable thirst for righteousness and your word of truth, Lord God. And I ask for your help today, Lord God. Cleanse us of, of all unrighteousness, anything we wouldn't heed, Lord God, whether it be our preaching or our receiving, Lord God. And we ask that you would guide us into that truth in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. I just want to read uh, first off as we get started this uh, uh today. Uh, First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, here's what it says. It says, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the love that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And verse 17 in chapter 2 of 1 John says this, And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever." I like that last word that, you know, he that uh, does the will of God abides forever. I think about it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter uh, 7, that he tells us not everyone that, that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, but those that do the will of God. And so we need to know the will of God because what does that do? It gives us the ability to abide and to abide in his presence forever. Romans 12 and 2 tells us to don't be conformed to the image of this world. What's the world look like? Well, we just described it in, in uh, part ways. Uh, But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So God desires us to be in his will because he desires us to abide with him uh, forever. You know, the good thing about the word is we don't just have to be, as James says, just hearers of it. We can also be doers of that word. And so when we're doers of the word and we're not just camped out in our four walls, just quote unquote having our, our, our church, but when we're out being the church, what it does, it brings these testimonies to real life. That's why the word tells us to be ready at all times, to give an answer to man that would ask you the reason for that hope that is within you. And so when you put your, put the word inside of you, the, the word is designed to come into our lives. That way it can come out and express itself to others that that, that need an answer. And so the other night we were at the cross, as we uh, most of you guys know that we minister uh every single week on Bourbon Street right here in the city of New Orleans and a man uh, approached me while we were ministering on the streets and immediately he identified himself as a Christian uh, which is not unusual even in an environment like Bourbon Street but then he would go on to say he would add to it he'd say I'm also I want to let you know that I'm very well versed in the Bible and he said he wanted to come and test us to see if we were sharing our faith in the right way now folks listen I've been at this a long time been preaching the gospel full-time pastoring for 20 something years. uh, been ministering in environments like Bourbon Street, Bourbon Street specifically since 1996, full time since 2003 on, uh, in the city of New Orleans, and, and so you know I, I'm out there a lot. So when somebody comes and says something to me, to the fact that I want to test you to see if you're doing it the right uh, way, uh, I start listening uh, because there's just really no telling what's going to come next. And what was interesting, you know, here he is a Christian. Here he is well versed in the Bible. But he says that all the while reeking of alcohol and you know, being a part, uh, you know, participating in all intents and purposes with beads around his neck and the whole nine yards uh, in the debauchery and the revelry uh, that that environment called Bourbon Street uh, employs. And so it's been my personal experience that uh, there are very few, if any, uh, genuine believers as he called himself and are very, uh, very many Bible scholars or, or people well versed in the scriptures uh, that are sold out to Jesus that spend their time getting drunk and carousing on Bourbon Street. So uh, what he said versus what he demonstrated were uh, really in conflict with one another. And so he went on to say this. He said, I want to find out whether or not you're preaching love and not hate because God loves everyone just the way that they are. Now, I want to say again what he told me. He said, I want to I make sure that you're preaching love and not hate because God loves everyone just the way they are. Now, folks, that, that's a good bumper sticker. That's a good uh, uh, Hallmark card. That's a good T-shirt maybe. But it's just not good theology when people say things like that. Uh, and and to, today, looking at uh, what 1 John 2:15 15 through 17 is saying about love not the world, there's such a miscomprehension and misconception about what it is to love. You know the Bible says that God chastens those that He loves, and uh, you, you that are parents like I am, and grandparents like I am as well. You know sometimes you had to chasten your children, and they didn't love that. They didn't love it when you uh, you had to spank their their bottom or correct them for misbehaving. They did not love that. It wasn't a very pleasant thing. But somehow uh, the the definition of love has morphed into uh, kind of a kumbaya that makes everyone feel good. It's probably been promoted by. Uh, a lot of TV preachers are telling you you have your best life now. and uh, I've said many times that God doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful plan for our death. That we need to die uh, to ourselves and deny ourselves and take up our cross and imitate Jesus. And so when he said that I want to make sure you're not preaching hate, but I want to make sure you're preaching love, that's, that's when that voice inside that, you know, we, I, I call it my Bible voice. That You know, when you get into the Word, the Word gets into you, and you hear something that runs aground with the truth, and suddenly uh, something takes off inside of you, that, that makes you say, you know, what is that? And you begin to discern those things. You, you know, I've seen it for years that you know people that maybe I personally discipled, or they they come up in our church, and I, and I know what they've been taught, and maybe they'll hear something that is contrary to the Scripture, like Galatians says, it's a, another gospel that's not a gospel at all, and so the the radar goes up, and I see the look on their face, like, okay, what are, what are they going to say? And so that's exactly what happened to me this past week, and so that Bible voice went off in my head, and it's that that voice. That when you study the word, it gains volume. You know, maybe if you just heard something once or twice, you're a new believer. Maybe there's a little, like a ting in the background or a little ping. But when you've studied the word a long time, that that, that word just gets louder inside of your heart and life, and you just can't deny what it says. It's kind of like going down a road, and every 10 feet it's a speed limit sign. You know, pretty soon you're going to get the point. That's what that Bible voice does to you when you study the Word of God. It, it really, what it does, it serves kind of as a spiritual radar inside of us that, that tells us that, that there's something on the screen, there's something uh, in the distance, there's something coming at me that is just does not belong in the environment that it's putting itself in. And so, you know, you know some of those things are like when you hear worldly-derived sayings and people say things like, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness and things of that nature. and you, you know what I'm talking about, that... They, they use them and they try to pass those things off to Scripture. Or somebody says, you know, like the Bible says, and it has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Uh, sometimes when people use things out of context, and we've all heard it, maybe we didn't, the Bible voice didn't go off because we're not, uh, we don't study expositorily, or we don't uh, study like the Bereans did, to search the Scripture and see if it be so. And some so many people say something to the effect of, uh, um, give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. And a lot of people use that in conjunction with finances. But the problem is, is that text is not talking about finances or money. It's talking about mercy. When I give mercy, mercy is going to be appropriated back to me with the same measure that I'm measuring out. Now, uh, what about Malachi? You know, will a man rob God? You know, every 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 preacher that I've ever been around has always used that to, when he's taking up the offering, when maybe you don't have people that are faithful givers. Uh, the problem is, you know, is he's holding them up with his gun saying, you know, will a man rob God because they refuse to give him the tithe and offering? But the context of that is actually the priest receiving the money and withholding the offering from taking it in the temple that the house may be filled and there may be distribution to everyone that has need. And So it's not talking about people not giving. It's talking about people giving and the priest not having enough faith to distribute that, those things when they have need. And, you know, we see the exact same thing. Happening in uh, in today's age, uh, also just uh, that, that that Bible voice goes off when you just hear this blatant, downright false doctrine, and is passed off as re- revelation. Uh, one of those that I, I remember from the the eighties is uh, the the doctrine of the born again Jesus, and talked about it several times here in, in this class. And you know they said that Jesus had to die on the cross, uh, and not just die on the cross, but he took upon the the sinful nature of Satan, folks. That's just not even biblical. That's just a lie. You know the Word says that. A house divided against itself uh, cannot stand. And so Jesus is God made manifest. And he always will be, and He's Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. So He wasn't drugged into hell uh, and, and tortured by the devil uh, for three days, like somebody like Kenneth Copeland would teach. And if you, you're a big Kenneth Copeland fan, uh, well, sorry. You know, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm not here to, to make friends. I'm here to make disciples, and uh, that's what He teaches. And it's false. And the Bible says after the second and third admonition. Uh, call those people heretics, and that's what that is. It's heretical teaching. But when you study the Word and you know the basis of Scripture, those things go off. And so when an intoxicated, uh, quote-unquote, Bible scholar, Christian Bible scholar, puts himself in a place of being able to validate our ministry, uh, whether it's preaching the truth or not, uh, you know, your radar goes off and something's brought into the equation. But here's what he went on to say. He went on to say that we're all God's children, and God doesn't have the ability or any hatred in him whatsoever. Now, folks, listen. That sounds good. That we're all God's children. We're all, you know, somebody. But the Word of God doesn't teach that. It says in 1 John 3.10, it says, This is how we know that we're the children of God. who are the children of the devil. And so it says not everyone is children of God. It says that there's children of God and there's children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. And so if we claim, as we learned in 1 John 1 and 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, we're liars. We're not God's children. We're not a blessing to God. We're not, you know, God's posterity. We're a child of the devil. We're the product of walking in sin, and we put ourselves contrary to God. And the word also says in Psalm 5 and 5, it says that God hates all workers of iniquity. God hates all those that behave wicked. God Hates the lawless people. If you walk outside of God's precepts, that God has a hatred towards you. Well, also we see, he said more so in Proverbs 6, 16. He said, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Notice it says there's six things that God hates. It says a proud look. God hates it. A lying tongue. God hates it. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates it. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. God hates it. Feet that are swift to running to mischief or evil. God hates it. A false witness who speaks lies. God hates it. And anybody that sows seeds of discord among the brethren. God hates those things. God does not love those things. Those things will put you at difference. They'll put you as an enemy of God. So he went on to say, after I quoted those verses to him, he said, I just can't believe that God hates anything or anyone because all he is is love. And what I told this guy on the street, what I'll say today is, you know, your lifestyle uh, has made you to make a God that looks like you. And what you've done is what I told him and what I'll say today to our audience is, you know what? We we want a God that that compromises like us. We want a God that that, that cheats like us or lies like us or gets drunk like us, that's okay with those type of things. Folks, that's not who God is. God is holy, and he said that we've got to be holy, otherwise we will never be able to see him. And so anytime I would uh, share the word or a verse of scripture, he would get loud and say that I didn't want to talk to him, and he would just want to deflect away from the truth. Uh, he and his friend would end up walking away but not without me uh, giving them a stern rebuke and I told him I said listen I, I don't know who deceived you but you're not okay and if God had to had to bring you to the 500 block of bourbon Street tonight to tell you that you're not okay and to, to call you to repent and believe the gospel uh, that God's willing to do that because he does love you but he will judge you and he will cast you into the lake of fire if you do not become born again and so what the, I say all that because what it does it, it puts in perspective really a corrective letter. My my letter was written on his heart hopefully that night, and he's going to have to deal with with the, the word that I gave him from the scripture and the, the rebuke as a as, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also brings us to back to this this corrective letter that, that the Apostle of, of the Lord Jesus Christ John wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read it. I want to read those verses out of First uh, John two fifteen through seventeen. Uh, out of a different translation, same, it says the same thing, but listen to how it puts it here, I think it's really clear, it says, do not love the world, nor the things it offers you, for when you're, you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you, it says, for the world offers only cravings for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions, these things are not from the Father, uh, but are from the world. And the world is fading away, along with everything, every people that crave after it. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You'll have eternal life. And so w- when I say that, that God doesn't love everyone, that God doesn't love everything, you may be asking yourself, well, what about John 3.16? Well, you know, you know, got John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so if you say to yourself, well, God loved the world, shouldn't we also love the world? Well, John 2.15 says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. But you say again, John 3.16, God loved the world, so shouldn't we also love the world? So, folks, here's the thing. You know, we've got to understand also that John that wrote the epistle was also the John that wrote the gospel. And there are certain things that you need to understand that because that, 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 that the epistle was written 30 years after that gospel letter was written, there were certain things that were understood by the church. There were certain, you know, certain foundation that had already been laid that, that he could build upon that he didn't have to go back and repeat himself once again because the, the message, the teaching, the, the, the apostles' doctrines had been uh, spoken through uh, uh, through the early church, and so people had a handle on it. So when he shows up with the epistle, he's operating off the basis of a message that has already been circulating for 30 years, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as told by the apostle John in the Gospel of John, and so when he spoke that, that that well-known verse of John three sixteen, as I quoted, you know, all of these other things were were in place, and so there was an understanding. And so what I want you to what I want to do today, because John three sixteen is so widely quoted, and it says that God loved the world, and John uh, two fifteen says don't love the world. I, I want to spend some time on, in this lesson really breaking down John three sixteen, what it means, and how there's no conflict, because a lot of times people say, well, there's so many contradictions. Folks, love not the world, neither things in the world is not a contradiction to when God says God loved the world so much. And that's what I want to show you, that there's not a contradiction in what it says. There's a contradiction many times in how people comprehend what it says. And so God loved the world so much, he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so let's take a look at that and really, really want to deliberately look at it today before we get into the, the, the issue of loving not the world and things in the world. And so any honest, really, evaluation of Scripture re- requires a few things to be established. Number one, you got to look at the, the originator. What was the intent of it? And obviously the one that spoke that was God. God loved the world so much. So it originated with God. The second thing is, is what's the intention of the originator? And Obviously, it was to reconcile people back unto God. That's the reason Jesus came. He was the great reconciler. He gave us, uh, at his ascension, the ministry of reconciliation to preach the gospel. Now, here's here's the key. Number three is the audience or the object. And, and this, I believe, is where people run aground on John 3.16 as a result, have a miscomprehension uh, of what First uh, John 2.15 says. And it's and it's who he's speaking to specifically uh Uh, where where people's theology, I think, runs them up. Here's what he said. He said, for God so loved the world. Now, the typical knee-jerk reaction is that God just loved everyone because if he loved the world, that means that everyone's in the world. But is that really what he said? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It says, God so loved the world. That word, many of you may know it, is the Greek word cosmos. And it can mean the world. It can mean the universe. It can mean worldly affairs. It could even mean the inhabitants of the world. Yet, within context, the literal meaning here in the Greek is something ordered or an ordered system of things. Something ordered or an ordered system of things. And I'm going to show you exactly why I would say that. And so let's go back to the beginning. So when I said that he loved the world, he loved the system or ordered things. So say it like this. Because God so loved, unordered a system of things that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. life. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Here's what He said. He said, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form. and It was void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know that. You know Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Now, how many of you believe it? How many of you believe in the creation story? I totally believe the creation story. He said, In the beginning... Now, think about that just for a second. He starts out the Word of God with that phrase, in the beginning. What in the beginning does is establishes a, a sequence. It establishes a system of order. So if there's a beginning, there needs to be an ending. You know, Jesus Christ in, in Revelation 1 and 8 identifies himself. He says, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the ending. I'm, I'm everything in, in between. I'm, I am i am the one that determines the sequence of events. And so, in the beginning, he established something. He established order. He established the the, the beginning of a pattern that was going to be developed throughout the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Write it down. Colossians 1, 16. Turn there, write it down, look at it later. Here's what it said. For in him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. And so, if in him, all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so when it says in the beginning, God created, who did the creating? Well, God did specifically Jesus Christ. He is the creator of all things. Now check this out. The book of Job chapter 28, verses 25 through 26. It says he decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for rain, Notice he used the word loss, and laid out a path or a pattern for the lightning. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12 says this. It says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his finger? Who who knows the weight of the earth or who has weighed the mountains and hills on his scale? Now, what what he's laying out, he's saying, listen, he's the one that created these things. He's the one that set order. He's the one that established certain parameters certain distances, all of these things right down to the distance that the moon uh, revolves around the earth and the earth around the sun. All of those things were ordered. All those things had to be perfect in order for him to be able to to, to put life on this planet in the way that he desired life to be. So he established an order of something. So in the beginning or in accordance with him being the creator, he created or established an order. He established a pattern for things. Then check it out. Genesis chapter 1 says this. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I, w- I want to stop right there just for a second. Because the Bible says, In the beginning, at the initial sequence of things, God created the heavens and the earth. God established an order. Then it says the word, And. Now, folks, when, when you're talking, and just to take our English just for a minute, And The word and is a conjunction. It it joins two separate thoughts together. And so when I said, listen, I want to go to the store and pick up a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. What am I doing? I'm joining two things into one thought. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the the earth was without form and void. Two different elements joined into one thought. So I want to bring those things together for you. And this is so revealing to our subject matter, and I I do not want you to miss this, because I think if you get this, it's going to be another one of those Rosetta stones, so to speak, that's going to really open up Scripture to you. That word without form is a Hebrew word, which means to have no form, to have no order, to have confusion. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was with no form, with no order, with confusion. It also says it was void. That void literally means it's it's a, a vacuity. And that word vacuity means basically a lack of purpose. It means it's pointless. It means it's inane. No order. It's totally in ruin. And so you know when it's when it's that vacuity. In other words, there's 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 nothing profitable. There's there's nothing beneficial taking place in it. It's pointless. Then the the, the last word that he used in the last phrase, uh, it said, "And darkness was upon the face of the earth." That means darkness. It means obscurity. It means also means in a, in a moral sense, it means dread. It means sorrow, and it means misery. So a disorderly, confused, pointless, run of darkness, dreaded misery. That's, that's what I was describing. Now, does that sound consistent with everything that we know about God? Does, when, when you're talking about something without form, with, with confusing, when it talks about something that's pointless, that that's, has no purpose, when it's talking about something that's dark, sorrowful, miserable, and ruin, dreadful, does that sound like something consistent with the character of God? I'm hoping you say no, because I know what 1 Corinthians 14:33 says, that God is not the author of what? He's not the author of confusion. He's not the originator. He's not the progenitor of confusion. It doesn't start with him. Uh, 1 John 1, 5 it says, this is the message we have heard from him, that God is light. Not God does light, but God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. And so, does that run aground with, you know, God created everything, and all of a sudden, was, there's was darkness upon the face of the earth. Think about those. Really use some critical thought here just for a second. James 1, 17 and 18. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says this. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. I want to stop for a second. He said every good gift, every... Perfect gift comes down from above, but it comes down from the Father, the Originator, the, the, the first in sequence of lights, with whom there is no variableness, there is no shadow of turning. Of his own will, he uh, of his own will he brought forth uh, by the word of truth that he should be a kind of the uh, first fruits of his creatures, that we should be a first fruits of his creatures. And so listen to some of those attributes. Good gifts, perfect gifts, come from the Father of Lights. There's no variableness. There's no confusion. There's no lack of order. There's no obscurity. There's there's, there's no shadow of turning. There's no ruin. There's no misery. There's no darkness. And he gives us all those things. And he, he mentions that he brings those things in that we might be the first fruits of his creatures. Now, think about it again. Every good gift, perfect gift, He's the father, originator in sequence of lights, no variables, no shadow of turning, first fruits, the initial type. So then, think about this. God created the heavens and the earth in order. Why? Because everything he does, he creates in order. You, you, you look at the, the creation story. Everything that he created was perfect. But something happened between Genesis 1 and 2, uh, something evidently very cataclysmic. And of, of which, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to speculate on pre-Adamic, this is not even what this is about. It's not young earth versus old earth, uh, because, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not the one that was able to measure those things with my hand. Uh, all I know is what the Bible teaches versus what the Bible doesn't teach. I, I don't have to, uh, to, to convince uh, the, the atheist that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say it's 6,000 years old. I, I've, I've never been able to find the, the number 6,000 in the Bible. Uh, never, the Bible doesn't say that the earth is not millions of years old. I've never found that in the Bible. What the Bible does say is 6,000 years ago, God said, let's create man in our own image. That I'm not connected spiritually, physically, with my DNA or anything else or God's plan to anything that happened prior to Adam. Now, what happened prior to Adam in the day past? You know what? I wasn't around for that. And the Bible is not about those things. And so where the Bible speaks... We speak. Were the Bible silent? We're silent. But the Bible did speak. In the beginning, God created something. We know that there's no shadow of turning, that God doesn't is not the author of confusion. But Genesis 2 mentions an earth that was full of confusion. So something happened that was outside of God's will. That was outside of God's plan. That was not God's handiwork. That was not the effect of something that God did. So there had to be an effect of what someone else did. You know, my my, perfect, my personal belief is that it was the result of the fall of, of Lucifer and who became Satan, and the third of the angels fell with him. That that was a cataclysmic event that disrupted God's order. And what we see in the second chapter is God reestablishing the order. God doing something to to reconcile. Uh, man back to himself and bring order once again or uh, not reconciling at that point but God uh, wanted to reconcile order and so he created uh, what we call our earth uh, to to have a have mankind that would would have fellowship with him so he created the heavens and the earth with order and then something happened of which we don't know what it was and it brought about disorder and it brought about destruction then we see this unfolding of the six days of creation or this order coming out of chaos because it was a chaotic state prior to that. Genesis 1.4. Think about this. It says that God saw the light. And What he said? He said it was good. He didn't say it was dark. He didn't say it was confused. He didn't say he said it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Uh, Genesis 1:10, God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together the waters and God and, and the seas. And God said what? He said it was good. Uh, the uh, Genesis one twelve, The earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after its kind. There's a, a point of order right there. It's kind and the tree yielding fruit. Seed was in itself after its kind. There's an order. And God saw that what? It was good. Genesis 1.17 uh, He set the firmaments of the heaven to, to, to give light upon the earth and to, to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from darkness and God saw it. What did he say? It was good. Why? Because every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of life. There's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. Genesis 121. And God created the whales. He created every living creature that moves. He created the waters, uh, uh, moves in the waters that brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after its kind. And God said what? It was good. Notice when God creates something, it's good. It's not chaotic. It's not dreadful. It's not miserable. It's not pointless. It's not inane. It doesn't uh, possess this vacuity. It's good. Then Genesis 1.25, and God made the beast of the earth after its kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after its kind. And what happened? God said it once again. He said it was good. And so when God creates something, God created it as good. For God so loved his order. God so loved what was good. He said it was good. God loved the fact that all of these things came together according to his plan and to his will. It was good. The light, it was good. The land and the sea, it was good. The vegetation, good. The firmament, it was good. The birds in the air, the fish in the sea, they were good. The things that walked on the earth, all of those things were good. So all those things here represent an established order that God had brought forth. Uh, And of all these things, that were designed to function after their kind or to follow a prescribed order of things. So everything God creates is orderly. Let all things be done decently. Let all things be done in order. He's not going to give an instruction through his servant, Paul the Apostle, to the church Corinth, uh, 1, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He's not going to give an order that is contrary to his will and to his desire. And so he wants those things to be set in order. So God created a world, and he said it was good. And it was built upon a concept of order and perfect design. And because, now hear me out, because it originated in him, it was good. Because it originated with him, it was perfect in all that it was. And he loved it because it was consistent with his nature. And so when God created man in his image, obviously it was in his image, his nature. But everything else that God created was also consistent with who God was as the creator. Think about this, Hebrews 11, 3. It says, By faith we understood, I love this, that the worlds were set in order at God's command. So that the visible has its origin, there's that sequence of events, in the invisible. So God loved the world. Why? Because it was God that set the the world in order at his own command, so that the that that, that which is visible, we know it originated by that which was invisible. Who's the invisible one? That's God. God is a, a spirit. Those that worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we're bringing to in this lesson is the truth about who God loved, then something happened. I mentioned it again. Uh, and it's mentioned uh, again in 1 John. And this is really the key, I believe, in bringing these two events that we're talking about in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15, that love not the world neither the things that are in the world and, and bringing that in there and reconciling it with for God so loved the world. Something happened that brought chaos. 1 John two sixteen, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Now, for some of you, that's going to sound very familiar. Well, and it should sound very familiar. Why? Well, because it didn't originate in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It originated in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it said. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, uh, has God said you will not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You know what? We can eat of all the trees, uh, all the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you will not eat it, neither will you touch it, because when you do it, you'll die. And the serpent said to her, you're not going to die. It's not going to have any effect on you. He goes on to say, he said, for God knows the day that you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be open and you will be as God's going both good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree, catch this, was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desired to make one wise, now think about that. That's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She looked uh, at the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave to her husband, and he did eat with her. And so what happened? There was an order that was there that God established, and part of that order was: listen, do what I tell you to do, obey what I'm what I'm telling you to do. And what I'm telling you to do is that you can have anything you want, but the order that I've established in this place is. Do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. The day that you shall do it, you'll die. In other words, what happened? Did they? Did their heart stop? No, disorder came in. The things that we talked about, the being void without form, the things that that, that happened cataclysmically at the first creation, they they began to happen again. Disorder. Misery, sorrow. Well, we'll see that. We see that later on in, in the book of Genesis. The, the promises, the, the the pain in childbirth, the, the thorns upon the the the, the 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 vegetation. All these things that that well, by the sweat of your brow, he told Adam that you're going to have to to work all your days. And so we see that sorrow that came in. Why? Because disorder came in. Because their 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 fellowship with God was disjointed by their lack of following after the directives that he gave. And so in that same chapter uh, that we look at, uh, it deals with love not the world, the things of the world. He introduces something that the, that was first seen before disorder came to mankind. Now think about this. This is Galatians 3.19, and this is referring to the giving of the law. He says, why? Then the law. He said, on the account of the transgressions it was added, till his seed might come to that which the promise is made, having been set in order through messengers... In the hand of the mediator. And so what he's saying, listen, the, the reason that that, that that God sent his son was that original messenger, obviously, as the, the, the savior of the world. But for us, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Just like he gave the law to Israel to, to, to set things in order to establish a standard. He sent his son Jesus to establish a standard that came into our life. Who now we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 3:16. But if any man defile that temple, defilement is a type of disorder, disorderly conduct, that God will destroy that temple because God's t- uh, temple is holy. Whose temple are you? And so we become, and he said in order, through messengers. And so when we look at the word of God, he says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. He said, do not love anything that's out of order. And so you look at any relationship that that God creates, number one, the relationship that we have with him, it's got to be based upon an orderly fashion. So that order, you know, you look at the family. You have a mother and a father. You have a husband and a wife. And and wives, the Bible says, be subject. Be in order in your house to your own husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We, We see, raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Train up your child in the way that you go. Set order in the life. That way, when they're old, that they will not depart from it. You older women, I want you to teach the younger women and, and, and treat them like da- like daughters. Uh, older men, you need to invest and, and pour your wisdom into the to the to the younger men. All of this order that God has established, but we know that in this in this hour that we live, what's happened once again? Chaos is happening. Now, think about this. Jesus said in Mark chapter nine verse twelve, He said Elijah is coming. He said first that He will put everything in order of uh, and He was speaking, obviously, about John the Baptist prophetically. And what was the message of order? Well, the message of order was the message that John the Baptist preached in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. He said, in, the, in, in those days came John the Baptist, uh, preaching out of the wilderness to death, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way that you think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Don't be conformed to, to this world, to the image of this world. But be transformed, once again, by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? Through the washing, the regeneration of the Word. Repentance brings us back to that, 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 that place of thinking like he thought. We're saved by grace. We mentioned this earlier in Ephesians 2 and 8. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That salvation comes through that process of, of faith, from repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And so that's what establishes order once again. And so John three sixteen is a call to order. That's what it is. God loved the world. God loved order so much. Not that God uh, uh, was, was just in, infatuated and, and enamored by a, a repulsive people that, that fail. Folks, listen. God does not love wickedness. God does not love unrighteousness. Before the cross of Calvary provided a way for us to be holy as he is holy, We were the enemies of God. That's why James 4 and 4 says that the friends of the world, he says, you adulterers, you adulteresses. What is an adulterer or adulteress? It's one that cheats. It's one that defiles. It's disorderly within a covenant of marriage. He likens that to the church. When the church becomes disorderly, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that your friendship with the world, your love of the world, puts you at odds, makes you an enemy? of God. Folks, we see that throughout the Word of God. So God loved order so much that what did He do? He sent His Son, Jesus, that whoever believes upon Him, believes upon the one that was the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one that was the, 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 the would, would bring us forth as His first fruits, the, the one that, that all things that were created through Him and by Him and for Him, the one that established those principles of order. God sent that example for us that's why Jesus said in the, in the gospel of Matthew I believe chapter 16 verse 24 he said if you desire to be my disciple what's a disciple one that has discipline folks you won't have discipline without having some type of order in your life you've got that's what discipline is it's bringing order into your life he said if anybody wants to be my disciple you deny yourself you deny the sorrow you deny the the, the vacuity you deny the darkness that's in your life you deny all those things why because prior to Christ that's all we had in us in our flesh dwelt no good thing. The heart of a man is deceitful, it's wicked above all things. Who can even know it? And so the standard he established with his son Jesus was the standard for us to follow. You deny yourself, take up your cross, the instrument of your own uh, demise, and you follow him. Once again, you get in order, you get in lockstep with him. And so John three sixteen was not just God's wholesale universalism, saying God loved the world so much that so he's just going to pay the price and everybody's going to be okay. It says God loved that which was good. Everything he established, it was good. The firmament, the, 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 the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. He loved all those things when they were reflective of his order and of his character. And he said, those things are good. And so what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, to once again establish a pattern of righteousness for that goodness to be made manifest in the earth. And so that's exactly what John three sixteen is. And listen, look what he says. I love this. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to establish order, that he that believes in him would not perish but have, what kind of life? Have eternal life. Folks, listen, because the, the gospel has been so twisted over the years, you know, people think so many times, you know, hey, you, you hear a good message, you go up to an altar, and you, you pray a prayer, and you have eternal life. Now, they don't even know what that means. What they think is, okay, eternal life means when I die, I go to heaven. Folks, that's just a portion of eternal life eternal life starts the day that you're born again, that you come to Christ Jesus. Why? Because eternal life is Jesus' life. That's what it is. It's having Christ, it's abiding in him and and him abiding in us. That's what it is. Who is eternal life? Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And so Jesus is eternal life. Why do I say he's eternal life? Because he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning of the end. He's eternal he's there's no he has no beginning he has no ending and so if we believe upon him we're not going to perish we're not going to get disorderly we're not going to be chaotic we're not going to find ourselves in darkness and in ruin but we're going to find ourselves following after Jesus. we're going to have his eternal life in us he's going to abide in us we're going to abide in him isn't that exciting to, to know what that order is what that love is it's just not god winking at sin it's god looking into our hearts and lives in, in in affirming us uh, uh, through the cross of Calvary, through faith in that repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Now you're not going to have that, that 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 eternal life walking in the same uh, wickedness that you you had in the world. Now creation order the world in its original state, it was all good, but after the fall, there was none good according to Mark 10:18. Not even one. Uh, Romans 7:18 says this. It says, for I know that in me, in my flesh, I quoted this earlier, dwells no good thing. For to will is present uh, with me, but how to perform that which is good. He said, I don't even know how to do it. That was Paul the Apostle trying to do it in a religious way. Now, what happens in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17? He said, listen, don't love the world or the things in the world. Not the lust of the eyes, not the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. If you love those things, the love of the Father is not in you. Paul the Apostle, before he became Paul the Apostle, when you saw the Tarsus, the, the, the Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of the, of the stock of Benjamin, you know, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He tried to do these things, but there was nothing good in him. With, with all of his religion, he was still out of order. There was nothing good at all. But whoever believes, whoever has faith, now walks in order. I want to read something else. Right there again. Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Folks, let me ask you a question: What is it in your life that may bring you disorder, that may bring confusion, that may bring darkness? He's telling us right there. Listen, don't love the world. Now, when we're talking about the world here, we're not talking about what we're talking about in John 3:16. That was his creation. That's not it. And so I want to differentiate between those things just for a few minutes, while we've got just a little bit of time left. And so when God loved the world, what did He love? He loved order. Now, the world that he's talking about right here in 1 John 2 and 15 is the world of disorder. It's not the same world of John three sixteen that cosmos, but it's this worldly system. He said, do not love the world, neither love the things that are in the world, because if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Those things that are chaos, you know, what we think about is these manifestations of disorder, uh, sexual immorality, drunkenness, uh, lying, uh, deception. Uh, stealing uh, Blasphemy All of these things that we associate with the world Folks those are worldly things But anything that is not In lockstep or in agreement with him Is the world Folks unbelievers Are the world should we love quote unquote, Unbelievers in the sense Of thinking they're okay Ab- Absolutely not have no fellowship With the unfruitful works of darkness But rather reprove them we're either children of God or we're children of the devil. Does that mean that we're insensitive? Does that mean that we don't love them in the sense of desiring to see them brought back into order? Absolutely not. That we we, we do love that. Uh, Jesus was uh, was uh, always called. He was he was even referred to many times. It says that, that 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 you're a friend of publicans. You're a friend of sinners. Well, he was friendly towards them. Not a friend in the in the sense of associating with them on on a, on a moral level, but he was extending mercy to them. And so he wasn't loving what they were doing. You know, people say many times, well, I can drink because Jesus turned water into wine. And that's a whole other argument out of John chapter 2. But uh, I, And I don't believe that Jesus created an intoxicating beverage. Why? Because the, the Bible says, let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God because God would tempt no man with evil. If God would, uh, would you know, with Jesus, if he would create all of that wine in the party, obviously that would create a temptation uh, that would be contrary to his will. And once again, that's a whole different study. Uh, but folks, listen, the, the world are those things that bring us out of agreement with God. And so sometimes those are ungodly relationships. Don't be yoked uh, together with unbelievers. Uh, why? Because we know bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be in associate with, association with things that cause con- you con- walk contrary. Uh, Amos 3.3, how can two walk together except they be in agreement? Don't don't get in agreement. Don't fellowship with things or, or, or unite yourself to things that are going to cause you to walk disorderly. Why? Because when you have that spiritual Disorderly conduct; it puts you in, in 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 opposition to Him. If any man, uh, for all that's in the world, once again, lust of the flesh. What was that? The things that our flesh desires. Anything that that, that would cause us to, to to seek after those things that are just pleasing to the natural. Folks, listen. We're just passing through, and so our, our flesh craves recognition. It craves craves all these things that are going to uh, accentuate the flesh, that are going to validate the flesh. Folks, one day this is going to be consumed. This flesh is going to return to the dust from where it came and our spirit's going to return to God. So don't try to hold on to these things that are just fading away. The lust of the flesh, the, uh, the lust of the eyes. In other words, looking upon things. It could be de- desiring what somebody else has, whether it's somebody else's wife or, or, or somebody else's possessions or, or lusting or whatever it is. But those things that are entered through the eye gate and the pride of life, you know, just saying, listen, I want to be recognized. Why do I have to submit myself unto God? All of those things are of the world. They're not of God. And so if we hold on to those things, what's going to happen? Well, the Bible says the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Folks, don't love the lack of order. God loved order when he loved the world. But he says don't love the lack of order. Don't love the world. What was that world that he was talking about here the first time? He was saying that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness. That's disorder. Don't love that. Don't don't say that I'm just that old sinner saved from grace, saved by grace, and I'm going to sin every day. That's loving the world, because the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter six that that we've been made free. If we've been uh, if we, we've been identified, or we've been uh, crucified with Christ, baptized under His death. Listen, we're we're free from the bondages of those things. we're, we're no longer a yoke fellow to sin. That we ought to find it easier to walk in holiness and righteousness than we ever found it uh, uh, easy to walk in the world. And so what he's saying is, listen, don't do those things. Don't walk disorderly. Because part of the disorder was inviting that compromise type of uh, theology into the church. Uh, Revelation 3.15, we've talked about it. He said, I know you. I know your works. He said, my problem is you were in the hot or cold. He said, I would that you were hot or cold. But because you were lukewarm, because you were out of order. He said, I'll have to vomit you out of my mouth. Folks, it's time that the church got back in order. It's time that we stop loving the things of the world and and the things that are in the world and start loving God. Start loving the God that created us after a pattern established and sent his son Jesus to reaffirm that pattern, to die that vicarious death upon the cross of Calvary, that we can believe in his atoning sacrifice upon that cross and we might be brought to a place of, Rebirth, being born again, justified through faith, sanctified through walking in the Spirit, and one day glorified with Him. Folks, out of time in this message, but I want to thank you once again. Folks, listen, don't miss that. God loved order. That's what God loved. And as a result, He gave eternal life. He gave that example for us that eternal life, Jesus Christ, might come into our life and govern everything about our life. Amen. Love you so much. God bless you. And let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love, the love of order, and the fact, Lord God, that you established order through your son Jesus, and that we can have that through faith, Lord God, in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Pray that this word embeds into our hearts and minds, Lord God, that we'll have a thorough understanding of what you're to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. amen. See you next time.